We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome on in. This is the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, John McKechnie. That is Mario Puig. Today, we are diving into the rookies that we are targeting and the rookies that we are fading. A lot to get to today. Also, some news and notes from around training camps as they have gotten fired up around the league. Let's start the show. Welcome on in. Training camp is here, folks. I'm John McKechnie. That's Mario Puig. This is the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast. It's uh it's it, this time of year is always like almost borderline disorienting because we we go through such doldrums uh in June into into most of July, and then all of a sudden it's just like warp speed news. You cannot if you're looking at, on Twitter. You cannot escape seeing training camp hype clips of certain players. Um, it, it's it's crazy. I, I know, and you know, it's important to to kind of be able to ground yourself one way or the other. But it's also really tricky to to not have your priors confirmed. And and I, I think that the big one for me, and and uh, I'm going to guess you you feel something similar, but the rave reviews about Calvin Ridley make me feel pretty good. Yeah, it's especially good to see in a case like his with, you know, such a strange case in general, the time off, the the way he ended up missing that time, uh, the pre- not even just the suspension, like even the way, you know, he stepped away from the Falcons uh, after six games or whatever back in 2020 or whenever that was. Uh, it's a strange story we're unlikely to see anything like again. So I, I, I in a way, understand why so many of his sort of um, – I won't say critics, but, you know, the people who are a little concerned about Ridley, I understand why you're not going to be able to go into a history of case studies and be like, oh, this was just like Calvin Ridley and it worked out great. Like it never happened. So I understand. But of course, it was it was hard for me to um, forget who he was as a player. And uh, if and maybe I'm just kind of like trying to maybe I'm just like a little optimistic or, or wanting to be optimistic about most players being able to, uh, you know, have the best luck they can. So that might have been a little bit of it. But the more we hear about him doing so well in practice, the less I need to feel like I'm basing it all on, you know, faith specifically. Right. So that, that's that been huge. I think that's one been one of the louder ones. I think 
potentially some of that could do with the algorithmic echo chamber in which I exist. So it's like that. Well, you won't find anything negative. You're not going to find like, oh, Calvin Ridley sucks in practice. It's like he's. The other thing too is, uh, if if it makes anyone, if it helps anyone get over like any anxiety about Ridley, read his Players Tribune uh, article. From I guess this was like a few months ago already, but. I think it answers a lot of questions that people might have about him. And I, I think a number of his skeptics would just kind of drop their reservations on the spot if they read that. Yeah, I, I think so too. That, that, that was a good read. Um, yeah. The P- player's tribune, it obviously not as a, uh, like a top of mind as it once was when it first launched, but there, there's still some good stuff that, that comes out over there. I was a big fan of uh, the Steve Francis one from, from a while ago. It, a formative Maryland basketball player of my youth. That guy could really, uh, uh, it, it was sad, but, um, heartening at the same time. But, uh, that guy could dunk, uh, like an absolute uh, maniac. He was so popular when I was, um, what was it? High school, I guess. He He seemed like he was just uh, never going to go away. Such a weird story. uh, Stevie franchise. Uh, but, but I digress, but either way, bottom line, things are looking good for Calvin Ridley. I, I still feel good about my roughly 30%, exposure to him on, on best ball and and you know I, i've i've been kind of starting to wonder like should i diversify a little bit more with, with some more more amari cooper but it's like what's the problem with diving in with both feet I'm trying sometimes to get if, both. You're, if you're really yeah. tracing it mm-hmm. i'm trying i'm trying to get both cooper and uh ridley on teams if i can i know it's easier said than done but uh yeah i like both players um i i i have I don't know how many best ball teams at this point. So I, I do need to keep kind of um, exposure rates in mind if there's like a pivot point like that in the draft. But yeah, I, I don't want to make the choice. I love them both. And uh, yeah, if, if it goes wrong for either of them, I feel pretty comfortable saying it's just entirely due to injury. Yeah. And uh, with that, um, my, my dreams of, of cashing in the, uh, in the best ball mania uh, likely, likely uh, expire, unfortunately, but not going to happen. We're, we're just going to run away with it this year. Um, so moving on elsewhere on, on the injury front, some positive news coming out of Denver regarding one Javante Williams, you know, not even starting on the pup list, given, you know, the, the kind I think him versus Brees Hall has been an interesting dynamic through, throughout the course of um, draft season, because there's been what, like a six, seven round, gap between them. Javante suffered his injury um, a little bit earlier, I believe, but it was a more severe, I think it was more akin to uh, what, what JK Dobbins suffered at well, the end. Um, for what it's worth, it, it was worse than a regular ACL. I think it was the LCL that he had, but the Dobbins one was really like all timer bad. Like it yeah. could have very easily been like a more like a Marcus Lattimore kind of outcome. Cause he had, he had like the ACL LCL, maybe one of the other, Maybe one P- of the other, maybe PCL? the PCL or MCL and the meniscus and tore his hamstring. God, like that, off the bone. Like, that's yeah. uh, you only hear about that in like Tom Segura dunk videos. I mean, that's why that's why I'm like all in on Dobbins now. I was like, that guy is just the most ferocious player in the league, pretty much. The and I, 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 do, I do not want to, I do not want to bet against a guy that's psychotically competitive. No, I, nor I, nor I, sir. But um. It, Back to the to my original yeah. <laughs> point, you know. So with, with Javante, I've just kind of left him alone for for the bulk of uh, this. I, I've left I've left Brees Hall alone too. Not not just because of the injury, but I, I just felt like the injury wasn't being baked into into his price. Whereas Javante's absolutely was. I, I was just concerned about 
taking a running back um, coming off of that, that type of injury. Um, but even still, I mean, the, the, the reports are positive. They obviously bring in Samaj P. Ryan um, th- this offseason. But, you know, do you, do you feel like your interest has been peaked a, a little bit on, on Javante as a result of, of, you know, these recent developments? Or is this is have you been targeting him at all but before this? Um, you know, where, where are you with Javante Williams right now? I hadn't been targeting him. Uh, I don't really remember thinking that I was trying to avoid him specifically. I just kind of, I must've been just targeting kind of someone else in that range. I can't really remember who it would have been, but it is of course really good news. And I, uh, I think there's room for both him and P Ryan to coexist. I mean, I know the Javante Williams hype train when he came out of North Carolina, I, in my opinion, got really out of hand and he had people did. comparing him comparing him to all these players that he just has nothing in common with. And in the process, they kind of glossed over certain details that I think are, are pretty important when evaluating Javante Williams. And namely like he plays the game of a 230 pounder. And I understand why people compare him to Nick Chubb as far as that goes, but he is not actually a 230 pounder. So what that means to me is we have a contact heavy dependent, you know, contact dependent style of running which he's very good at, but it requires him breaking tackles. It requires him in, uh, incurring a certain amount of contact from players who are generally quite a bit bigger than him. And that's how he needs to operate, even though he doesn't have the body type of the, the, the play style that he has to use. So I think he has some uh, workload limitations that some of his biggest fans have not considered possible. Like, I think a lot of people, when they saw this headline, like not uh, no PUP list for Javante Williams, they were like, Oh, 20 carries, five catches, it's on now. Stephen <laughs> wasn't used that way in North Carolina, you might notice. And I, I know Michael Carter, was, Michael Carter was a great college back, so there's, there's that excuse at least. But we don't have we, – we certainly don't have like a list of case studies in – I don't know, it's got to be like at least 30 years of a player with Javante Williams' build and uh, the number of like tackles he's dependent on breaking to get the yardage that he tends to. So – I don't know what people are looking at to tell themselves like, oh, this will work if he gets 300 carries. This is he's going to play 40 snaps a game. And we know that because it's like this other guy who did it before him. There's nothing like that. And so I'm I'm not inclined to be quite as high on his upside case as most people, maybe certainly not the people who tend to draft him and not as his biggest fans. They think he can be like the best running back in the league. And to me, that's just nonsense. So I'm unlikely, I think, to get exposure from this point though because the hype those people didn't want to drop the hype you know like he got hurt so they're they they were waiting for a signal to kind of just like full speed we're back and i think that's what this is and i wouldn't be surprised to see javante williams get up to like god i don't know like the fourth or fifth round or something like that and that could work out i just um i think it would be very touchdown dependent if so and you know touchdown dependency when you're talking about an offense that I think is going to be better than last year. Just oh, yeah. dead, dead cat bounce. Much but better. like, I'm, I'm still not banking on the Broncos necessarily being a top 10 offense. That would be asking a lot of them, but yeah, it's, it's just kind of, it's kind of wild to remember that uh, with, with the, uh, I never remember which order his name goes. <laughs> Aviro, Ajiro, Ajiro, Aviro. Uh, he was doing such a great, do- a great job with the defense that they were, they were giving up like 18 points a game. They would have had a winning record if they just averaged like the 27th most points in the league, but they couldn't even do that. So 
Uh, I definitely expect the Broncos to be a much more competitive team. And on offense, especially, it's just going to be even I, as a person who at this point does fully believe that Russ Wilson is basically a fraud and and just a total goober. uh, Sean Payton is going to make that team so much better. It's just not even, it's ridiculous to think of how, how it's, it's going to be ridiculous to witness just how much more competent that team is from the first snap this year. Yeah, like uh, one of my like kind of favorite NFL memes tropes for, from this summer, uh, as, as we're all you know starting to re- really miss football and get excited for it. It's like I would pay fifty dollars for uh, like a redo of the Indianapolis Denver Thursday night game right now. Like I, I need <laughs> Dude, the football. The Nate Hackett Broncos were the most fun I have ever had watching football. <laughs> it was just a blast, man. It, it was so oh funny. And <laughs> from, from the get go, yeah, every too. single game, every single play was just gold. It was amazing. Even the plays that went right, he they'd like pan to him, and he's just kind of like, "That did did it really? Did it go? Did, did we do that? Just Am I uh, safe? Just how I drew it up, I think. But yeah, it's, um, it's kind of unfortunate because Nate Hackett does just seem like a, a goofball and like a, a sweet person, but uh, you know, he didn't specifically ask for for the, the the responsibility of the world to put on him. He just kind of thought it was like if someone asks you, you have to say yes, even if you don't know what the hell you're doing at all. Yeah, and he, I, I think even uh, I haven't read the full uh, quote or anything, but I think Sean Payton dunked on uh, what uh, he went a little the Broncos. Too far in my yeah, be yeah, nice so th- to my my sweet friend Nate Hackett. He, he just likes Anchorman. It's okay. A lot of us do. Um, <laughs> but um, so that that um, that he about Gold Member. That's what he. Uh, it's his favorite movie. That that I can't get behind as much. I, I'm a huge Austin Powers enthusiast, but the first two are just so far beyond. I'm, I, I'm defending Nate and his sweetness, but certainly not his taste or judgment. Sure. Yeah, exactly. It's important to to um to have that um, established. But before we move on uh, to our next topic, we are about to dive into some rookies uh, that we are targeting. But first, a message from our friends over at Circa: Get ready for more millions guaranteed. The biggest pro football contests in Vegas are back and bigger than ever with 14 million in guaranteed prizes only at Circa Sports. Enter in Nevada, play from anywhere. Two ways to win and no rake. Play Circa Million, make five picks against the spread each week with 100% payback to players. Grand finale winner takes home $1 million. Last place takes home a $100,000 booby prize with quarterly and full season payouts. $6 million is guaranteed. Join Circus Survivor to select one team each week straight up with no repeat selections. If the team loses or ties, the entry is eliminated. Each team can only be picked once in a season. Go t- uh, 20-0 or be the last person standing to win it all. $8 million guaranteed. $14 million in guaranteed prizes. Visit CircaSports.com for details. We also got a message from our friends over at Blue Wire. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. All right, let's go ahead and dive into some rookies uh, that we're targeting. We'll try to get through as many as we can before we talk about the, the other side of the coin, the rookies that we are uh, fading, not taking at their current ADPs. So, Mario, first of all, let's kind of aim a little bit higher up the board as far as like the these guys that, that are going in the early rounds among the rookies. Who are you uh, finding yourself getting some exposure to? Well, let's see. So, B. John's the first one. Jameer Gibbs is the second, right? Like I think uh, correct. The first receiver is still Jackson Smith and Jake and He's back in like the 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 uh, what is it like early fifth, mid fifth, something like that. So, I uh, I have like a complicated relationship with these running backs. Uh, I guess uh, because I, I like them both. I love them both. I think uh, B. John Robinson's going to be really good. I love Jameer Gibbs. I was a person who defended him uh, when that was the, when the, the Lions selected him, I defended that selection and all. Uh, however, I've not been drafting a whole lot of either one since the draft. I wasn't drafting B. John before the draft either. Cause I thought he was always going too high. So that of course just got worse after the Falcons took him eighth overall. Um, I think he's going to have a really good year. It's just a very particular question you're asking me when I have to, when I have to take him over players like Jonathan Taylor and Nick Chubb, it's just a no go for me beyond even Eckler. Yeah. Uh, beyond diversifying for injury, you know, reasons I just never, ever saw the case for B John Robinson and I'm not going to. So um, I'm either just going to be totally wrong about that one or, or a little bit right, but I think he'll have a good year. It's just the cost, the particularly high cost that, that kept me away. And uh, I had been selecting Gibbs before the draft because no one, even me, thought he was going to go anywhere near that high, even though I was you know, big fan. I, I was convinced he was going to be just total all pro, no questions asked. But that was uh, back before the draft. He was going in like the sixth round sometimes right. anyway, uh, at, at the earliest, the fifth. And now you have to take that plunge as early as like the late third. So I did not want to do that. I, I think he's a great player. 
I guess it'd be maybe a little bit different in PPR. I haven't done a whole lot of PPR drafting. So uh, Gibbs admittedly gains ground there. But if it's half point PPR, like underdog, I don't know, man. I, I, I love I love Gibbs, but I don't know if he's going to get to like 80 catches this year. And I feel like he needs to get something like 80 catches to because I don't think he's going to be a real touchdown guy not with David Montgomery there. Uh, he'll, he'll get some touchdowns because because Gibbs is a, you know, a, a really unique big play threat and he's so great as a pass catcher he's definitely going to be a, a unique touchdown producer as a pass catcher but even then we're talking like i don't know maybe six seven eight touchdowns and i think he could be capped at something like 175 carries so he'll probably be explosive with those carries he'll probably get a handful of touchdown opportunities but if he's not very efficient with those carries and if he doesn't have a uniquely high touchdown rate i just think it's tough for him to, to come through in the third yeah, I do too. Um, so, so yeah, if you if you're playing on underdog, um, Gibbs to me is is off my off my draft list basically for for the cost. I, I'm not really getting him in the in the third. There there are other running backs that I think are a lot more, much safer um, in that type of format. Also, quick reminder to the listeners: if you are uh, playing on underdog, check out that or go ahead sign up over there using that promo code RWNFL. Uh, you get to double your deposit plus a free six months subscription to RotoWire. But but yeah, I'm I'm with you on on Gibbs, and it, it just feels like the Lions, for, from an aesthetics purpose, it, and uh, the man Campbell being the man that that he is, he, he, they get down near the goal line. They have those bullies on their offensive line. They get a big hulking running back in in David Montgomery. It's like they're just going to give him the ball. They're, they're going to give him the ball over over 200 pounds Jameer Gibbs. It's just he's going to get those money carries. Situational, but it's just it's just that th- as much as I like the Lions, I don't think they're going to be like a top 10 offense. You know, Jameson Williams has suspended six games. Jared Goff is just a perfect candidate for some regression. He, he even last year was not that good. I'm sorry, but like the numbers clearly took a big jump from the prior year. And I, I don't know why we would assume golf of all people keeps it at a high level for an extended period of time. So I, I don't think they're going to have quite as many opportunities as Jamal Williams had a, and so uh, like the, the pie is going to get bigger. It's not, it's going to be like 25 rushing touchdowns to split up between the two of them. It's probably going to be like 17 or something. Okay. So, so th- th- that might come back down to earth a little bit. And, and if their defense gets a little bit better, then they're going to be less prone to playing in those like crazy shootouts that they were often involved in last year. It would be year hard well. to be as bad there. Yeah, their secondary for sure is going to be better. Yeah, I, th- I think so um, a- as well. But it, to to answer the Bijan question, I will say that I am targeting him. Um, I not at like a, a crazy high exposure rate. I, I'm trying to keep it to like ten to twelve percent, something like that. Obviously, with the first round guy, um, it, it's hard to you know, go go a ton higher. Then that, you know, it's a, a lot of that it ends up being draft slot dependent, of course. But um, I am a believer. I, I know you are, too. It, it, it's just, you know, a question of can, can the Falcons offense, uh, you know, take a step forward under Desmond Ritter? Uh, I do think the offensive line is looking pretty good. I, I think that I, I put some respect on Tyler Algier's name. I don't think he's disappearing from from this offense. I think he did well enough last year to, to uh, deserve a role. But I, I, th- I think it maybe this is hack, but. They did take Bijan in in the top ten. Uh, like they they are going to use him, and I think he has the talent to you know make that worthwhile. So I, I think if if I want to go running back, 
and I'm picking somewhere in the in the eight to eleven range, and maybe uh, I'm I'm not feeling Austin Eckler right there at that given time. I'm probably going with Bijan, or uh, put another way, if I'm posed with the question of um, Bijan or, or Stefan Diggs, and I, I could totally get burned for this, I am taking Bijan. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's 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 got to be a line for us of uh, separation there, because yeah, I think uh, Diggs Diggs is. I, mean, I guess I'm just higher on Diggs than most people this year, but uh, I don't know, man. I mean, I, I think Bijan Robinson is going to be really good, but it's just. Nick Chubb and Jonathan Taylor could run for 2000 yards this year, both. Mm-hmm. And I don't think B John has that anything near that in him. So uh, I took him when he fell to 16, I think one time when I was on the board and underdog and around there, I'll take him, you know, it's, it's like, if I got to take him at eight or seven, ugh, I, I just can't do it. Yeah. That, 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 I mean, it is tricky. I mean, it really is holding uh, your feet to the fire. Um, uh, Rotowire colleague and, uh, gentleman, scholar, friend of ours, Alan Soslowski, has no problem taking Bijan first overall. So re- re- respect to him for for that one. He, he's putting it on the table. Yeah, he he uh he was first, I believe, too. Everybody else saying it is copying him. Yeah, uh, that is that is absolutely correct. Um, moving on a little bit further down the board again with this rookie class, like you correctly identified, there aren't that many going in the first uh, handful of rounds. But once you get a little bit further in. I am still in on Jordan Addison. Uh, obviously, with, with the off-field stuff um, that, that came across, was, was it last week? Um, li- maybe you're a little concerned about him missing, what, like a game tops, though? Uh, I'm sorry, who missing a game? Uh, Jordan Addison, or is he just not going to be suspended? I don't think he's going to get suspended. He didn't even get arrested, you know? Um, mm-hmm. Got a speeding ticket. Uh I don't know. I, I guess I guess uh, it must have had some kind of effect on his his ADP because I, I feel like I've seen him falling down the board a little bit or like you know a little bit, little little, little not a lot. Um, and it's going to be hard for him to fall too far given what Kadarius Tony's recent news has been. Uh, they the previously were going like right by. Not just that, uh, Traylon Burks was going right by. Those three were going in like the exact same spot for uh, a few months at least. So now Burks and Tony are out. Addison, even if people are worried about a suspension, I don't think can fall too far in the ADP, given that. I could be wrong. If he does fall, I'm going to take every single share that I can. I I really feel like Jordan Addison is one of those misjudged players at this particular time to the point that it's it's worth just ignoring injury risk. And I, I'm basically all in, you know, like the way I am with Calvin Ridley. I'm all in on Jordan Addison, too. And... Uh, I just cannot be deterred. <laughs> just can't be good. Uh, I think I think he's I think he's clearly 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 going to set the NFL on fire. Uh, he's not going to be as good as Justin Jefferson, but I, I would not be surprised if they're both like top five receivers in a couple of years. Right, and and you know that that becomes like uh, the the NFC version of. Uh, <laughs> uh, oh, great. Uh, that that's Usually our guest. Will say that's uh, barking on the show, uh, but I think I think it's pretty. They're, they're like. Tory Holt, Isaac Bruce, uh, but instead of Isaac Bruce being better than Tory Holt, the, the Tory Holt one is better than the Isaac Bruce. Isaac Bruce being the comparison for Addison because they're both like 5'11", 173 or whatever. Wow. Uh, that's uh, that's some deep, deep knowledge. I, I I just remember Isaac Bruce being awesome. I, I don't remember much about like really, his, really his particulars. Uh, 
Yeah, he was like uh, the the old guy on the team by the time uh, Kurt Warner and Tory Holt were there. So it was like '99 they got Holt in and won that Super Bowl. But it was it was after that actually that Holt you know hit full speed. Right, and uh, Tory Holt, um, he's got the most like mangled receiver fingers I think I've ever with seen. Tory Holt. I yeah, think I, I think I did an interview draft with him a couple of years ago. Oh, kind of for accident. Love that. Um, but but yeah, t- I don't know how um, he made his picks though. <laughs> voice text. Um, but uh, you know, I, I think uh, Addison is totally uh, wor- worth targeting if there's any sort of ADP ADP dip uh, as a result of, of uh, the, the speeding I will incident. That. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm in on Addison as well. Um, I find that I've been getting more and more Zach Charbonnet lately. Um, I, I feel like there's just a, a non-zero chance that he's actually the best running back on, on that team. I, I think that um, his, his running style, the way that he played, especially at UCLA over these last couple of years, obviously that's a great scheme that uh, that's very conducive to rushing production over at UCLA. But I, I think Charbonnet kind of elevated that offense in and of itself. And I, I think that, you know, his fit, with this team, uh, I, Kenneth Walker, you know, he's not going away. I'm not saying that that he is, but I think that there's going to be enough for, for both to produce. I don't know. It's going to be impossible for both of them to produce at what their ADPs w- would suggest. You know, one one hitting that is going to come at the cost of the other. But I'm willing to wait a little bit, not take Kenneth Walker and then circle back and, and get um, Zach Charbonnet a little bit later. Yeah, you're preaching to the choir here. I'm, I'm, uh, I won't claim to have been early on Charbonnet because it was, you know, back in his Michigan days, I didn't pay that much attention to him. I just, it's just not really my process to get that deep into the analysis that early on. But once I started actually looking at him, I think he's one of the easiest evals at running back in this class. It's, it, I didn't need to watch much. Uh, the numbers were good enough. I checked the. I always just like look at the numbers first to see who I think is most worth watching, basically. And I was kind of, um, I was kind of ambivalent, especially those first three years. But the last year at UCLA, when he really got going, when the offense got a little better at UCLA, uh, you could see basically everything you needed to ask about. I think uh, as far as how he fits into the offense, there's no question that he's a better pass catcher right now than Kenneth Walker. The one question, I guess, could be, like, does someone like McIntosh get involved? Because McIntosh, uh, man, I don't know. Uh, he, he's he's a tough evaluation for me because I, I think he's got a lot of skill. Certainly as a pass catcher, he has a lot of skill. Yes. But I don't know if he's got the athleticism for it to really show up on the NFL field. But he's not a completely harmless threat as far as the pass catching on that team goes. So uh, I am a little bit concerned about him. I'm not concerned about DJ Dallas. That whole thing is over. But um, we do have to keep an eye on McIntosh, I think. But if Charbonnet does keep McIntosh on the bench, then that means Charbonnet is playing the vast majority of the passing down snaps in that offense. And particularly if they go a little bit more up-tempo this year, something that I think is totally possible because uh, the Seahawks were very low-tempo last year, but I think that had to do with just poor running back depth after the penny injury anyway and poor – uh, receiver depth, really. I mean, it's it's one thing to say it's good to have tempo in an offense, but one thing you'll find is that you can't do it without positional depth, or right. at least if you try it, you could all of a sudden find yourself burned like 
how are we going to run 70 plays with DJ Dallas playing 30 of them? The answer is you don't. So mm-hmm. it's a different question to have Kenneth Walker and Sh- Charbonnet at the same time and have Jackson Smith and Jigba as your third receiver instead of whoever the Freddie Swain. Uh, so yes, Ridge. Yeah. Uh, oh boy. That was a bad pick. Uh, mm-hmm. So, uh, Charbonnet was a good pick, though. Like I hated the Eskridge pick. I've I've been critical of a lot of the moves the Seahawks have made in um, the, going back a number of years. But I liked Walker. I like Charbonnet more. I think Charbonnet is a better prospect, and I'm not convinced that Walker is a better pure runner than Charbonnet. I'll, I'll admit, I'll probably give that assumption to Walker. Uh, I think he's probably uh, Walker is a uniquely good pure runner. Is the thing. So it's like Charbonnet can be good and still not quite as good as Walker. But I'm a little surprised there isn't more. Uh, in this in this era of so much fantasy football analysis, just being as simple as like running backs who don't catch passes suck. The one who catch passes are good. You know, I'm surprised there's not more uh, lurking hype for Charbonnet just on the basis of like maybe Charbonnet doesn't catch all those passes, but we sure as hell know Walker isn't. It no, exactly. It feels like that. That's a pretty key detail, and you know kind of underpinning of of running back analysis when it comes to their skill set, and it seems to be. Um, pretty glossed over here and and yeah nobody talks about Kenny McIntosh um but Kenny Mac I know he flubbed he the combine that that dude's a talented pass catcher like he's he's really effing good at it um I watched him a lot at, at Georgia and I always felt good when when uh when he was running running a little route and uh Stetson would find him so uh that that is an uh thing to keep in the back pocket there but but bottom line here for me uh, I believe for for you as well that Charbonnet, um, I, I think is is a worthwhile uh, target among I, this rookie I think, class. I think Charbonnet is pretty much one to one Demarco Murray. I like that. I, boy, I used to just crush my roommate in, in uh, NCAA football with with that Oklahoma team with Demarco uh, Scott or was it or whatever? Yeah, it was it was Demarco and some big guy who never played in the NFL. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would also get. Uh, oh, I was good with N- Nebraska too. I forget who their running back was back back then. But um, you're Abdullah. <laughs> no, it was like right before him. He, he was like a bigger guy. Rex but, Burkhead. Oh, okay. <laughs> never mind. Roy Hillu. Roy Hillu. Yes, yeah. I was. I was a Roy Hillu guy. Just mashing. The toughest, the toughest NCAA game though, not to go too uh, team, not to go too far off topic, is is definitely Pat White, West Virginia. You just, there's just nothing you can do. No, you you are just going to like that. That was like one of those teams that you had to have like a house rule that like you you couldn't play. Yeah, he's Pat White. No, you, <laughs> you, like you just if you do it, uh, you're you're a coward. Um, let's see. Before we move on to uh, the next in our uh, line of rookie discussion, we have a message from our friends over at Fantrax. Fantrax is excited to announce the Fantrax Game Day Experience Giveaway. Fantrax will be sending. One lucky fantasy football league to a regular season NFL game of their choice, along with $6,000 towards travel and accommodations. All you have to do is enter the giveaway, is create or join a league on Fantrax. The more leagues you create and join, the more chances you have to win. I'm in a Fantrax draft, slow draft as we speak, the Rotowire college football one. Uh, I went with uh, Zach Charbonnet's replacement at, at UCLA with my first pick. Uh, we'll we'll see how it goes. White running back, first round, interesting choice by me, but we'll we'll see how that goes. Rex Burkett, <laughs> I know. 
They, they got the most offensive line continuity in the country. It's going to happen. Um, there's a reason why fantasy players who try Fantrax make it the permanent home for all their fantasy leagues. Go to Fantrax.com slash Rotowire to sign up today. And we also got a message from our friends at Reality Sports Online. By now, most of you have probably heard of Reality Sports Online, the powerful fantasy sports platform where owners get to build and manage their fantasy team like an NFL general manager. But the question is, have you tried it? It's time to go and see what all the buzz in the dynasty community is about. Free agency, multi-year contracts, a rookie draft, multi-team trades, franchise tags, contract extensions, first round rookie options, automated contract and salary cap functionality, and much, much more. Think it sounds complicated? It's not. The best thing about Reality Sports Online Fantasy Front Office is that it doesn't take any more time than a standard league. It just requires more strategy. Think you're among the fantasy elite? Well, this is the platform to test your mettle. Still not sure? You can test out your general manager skills for free with a mock free agency auction. If you like what you see, use the promo code ROTOWIRE to receive a 10% discount on your team or league today. Fantasy just got real at realitysportsonline.com. Next up, I think we're going to be in lockstep on this one. Quentin Johnson. Quentin Johnson is... uh... I think going in like the eighth round range or it tends to anyway. And I think that's a little bit tough for him to come through, even though I like Quentin Johnson, I, th- I think it would maybe, uh, this is a totally plausible scenario. Of course, it, it maybe would take a Keenan Allen or especially a Mike Williams injury for, for Johnson to really come through this year in particular, because I think it's clearly a matter of, when not if that he pushes aside Josh Palmer and it could be right away for all I know. But sometimes with things like this, where you have like a, an experienced uh, incumbent kind of there, even if you think they're going to end up being a backup for that first, like four to six weeks, they might hold on just, just enough to really annoy you and screw up your otherwise co- uh, correct theory about how, how the the new guy, the rookie Quentin Johnson season might go. So Sometimes uh, and sometimes it's totally fine for a fantasy asset to play out that way. I mean, you, you don't always take a guy in the eighth round thinking he's going to be, you know, a home run right away. Sometimes you, you know, sometimes it is kind of in the stretch run that those kinds of picks really determine whether they were worth it or not. So I'm, I'm not saying Quentin Johnson needs to start fast. And in fact, I guess if he did, it'd be more like worth taking him in the fifth or sixth or something, because especially especially if the Chargers don't add a running back who they can put 200 carries on, uh, like Ezekiel Elliott, basically. If they don't add him, uh, they don't have the personnel to put more slack on the backfield. It was already overburdened with Austin Eckler taking as much as he did. So I understand kind of why people look at the, you know, the the target counts with the Chargers and, and sort of think like, oh, there's just not any room for Johnson to make a big impact. But they they are probably going to run at a similar tempo or higher. Like Kellen Moore ran at a very high tempo with the Cowboys. And I think uh, even though Lombardi is not the offensive coordinator, I would project a similar, if not higher pass attempt. I guess not higher uh, pass attempt volume for Justin Herbert. But, like but a lot of those more daring, less lame AF, less effective. Justin Herbert yeah. dumping it off. Yeah, it'll be much more effective. And that's why the, the attempt volume might come down because it's like instead of having a, 
14 play drive where they go 71 yards and 12 of them are passes, it's going to be like that same drive could be five plays this time. And yeah, the, it could be a, it could be a 50 yard touchdown to Quentin Johnson. That's the difference from the prior uh, scenario. I, I also think they'll, they'll get a number of things going more downfield. Uh, Lombardi was just the worst. Uh, so Kellen Moore doesn't need to be good to be a big improvement for everybody. And I think it just coincides for Quentin Johnson to be the, you know, the key to unlocking this new aspect because it's, it's a range of the field that Mike Williams can't really get to Keenan Allen certainly can't. And the last time they had anyone running at that depth with any, you know, semblance of speed was Jalen Guyton. And he was not productive exactly, but he was productive as a decoy in a way that Josh Palmer has not been. And Josh Palmer has not been good enough with his own target usage for him to be more useful to the offense than Jalen Guyton. I'm sorry. Like Justin Herbert had a better season for a reason with Jalen Guyton on the field because he had more room to work with. You put Palmer on the field instead of Guyton. I'm saying no way in hell are we running too high. We're, we're running one high and we're getting in your face every play Austin Eckler. And that's what the offense was. So Kellen Moore will turn that for the better. The question is, does he, does he kind of reserve only the deep routes for Quentin Johnston this year? Because that, that is the area where he, it's his, it's his domain. Um, Mike Williams even can't get there. He's not fast enough. He's not explosive enough off the line. So if Johnston gets more than that, I think he could get safely past the eighth round kind of ADP return because if he's Josh Palmer had a hundred targets last year, not very wow. productive targets, a hundred targets. Gerald Everett was also a below baseline producer. So I think that makes him a candidate to get his target rate reduced. Yeah. Austin Eckler should probably have his target rate reduced. I mean, they made him somehow like a, a, a dink and dunk target when this guy is like three years removed from turning a hundred targets into like 900 yards, you know? So now it, now it takes uh, 200 to get him to 900 uh, or yep. Lomb- under to Lombardi. It did. So there's actually a lot of ways that Johnson can get targets. And of course, Mike Williams, Keenan Allen, that both had injury issues. So yeah, maybe I should take more Quentin Johnson, especially in best ball. It, admittedly, it's, it's always harder. I think with receivers like him to guess right in weekly leagues, because he's never going to be a 10 target receiver. He's always going to be like a five, six, seven, eight target receiver, but he's going to have games sometimes where he's, he's, he might have a couple of games where it's like three catches for 120 yards, you know? So uh, he's, he's got it in him. It's just the only question to me is like, how, how much room do they give him and how quickly? Right. So uh, I think, you know, with, with them drafting him as high as they did and the new offensive coordinator come in, coming in, you know, Palmer probably has a little bit less cachet, obviously with, with Kellen Moore. So they're, they're kind of coming in on, on equal footing and, and, you know, Quentin Johnston just adds that dynamic. Like, like you said, and if this is an offense that is going to be a little bit more downfield oriented this year, which it should be because you have Justin Herbert for crying out loud, then I think he fits perfectly. I, I think you, you summed it up really nicely with, with, with QJ in the sense that he's not a volume guy. He, he That's not going to be his role. I, I don't think even like his, his ideal role, like not, not even just, with the Chargers specifically, but like he's just not going to be that type he's a three of three-point specialist. It's like yes. he'll, he'll get you a lot of twenty-point games, maybe not a lot of thirty, but like if he's just he's going to need his his opportunities to open up to strike. And I I'm just willing to bet that that he will. So I mean, he's a guy that that you know is going in like end of the seventh, seventh, early yeah. eighth. Yeah. So uh, if I'm posed with with. Uh, the the question of taking him or or Gabe Davis or Traylon Burks, um, I'm 
probably just gonna go ahead and over Burks for sure I mean I, I happen to think Gabe Davis is still really good but uh they're both the same kind of guy, at least if the Bills don't choose to to change Davis's role to more underneath targets. Like they're both guys who are going to be running a lot of like 16 and 17 yard downfield routes. And it's just simply the simple fact is if you're running 17 yards instead of seven, you're not drawing nearly as many targets as the guy running seven. So uh, but with Herbert, that's that's the kind of quarterback, especially where you can, I think, take that leap of faith for the receiver in question, because it's like. If he had, yeah, maybe Jared Goff, you know, he's a he's a real concern for Jamison Williams. Justin Herbert is the exact opposite for Johnson. It's like you you can't uh, sort of like I guess Mahomes or somebody like you, you can't pick a better fit. Yeah, it, it's interesting. Like you know, but in the pre-draft process, I was worried that about my my player eval on on Quentin Johnston. Like it, it's like how much can, can he really do, or or is he only the downfield specialist? But when you plug him in on the Chargers, all of a sudden I'm I'm. I couldn't be more. That'll work. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm into that. I think I've decided Um, I got to get some Quentin Johnson because I definitely have a ton of Mike Williams and it's not because I think Mike Williams is durable, you know? (laughs) Very true. So yeah, let's, uh, let's, let's steam that up a little bit, but uh, hopefully not uh, get, get that ADP jumping crazy high. Um, My last uh, rookie that, that I find myself targeting a lot and that this won't surprise listeners uh throughout this off season got a lot of cj stroud um excuse me um yeah i I, know, I, uh, shattering. I don't i don't know what to think of stroud in general so certainly not for this year um of course sometimes i have very uh rigid opinions about certain players and it doesn't happen as often at quarterback as it does with running back and to a lesser extent receiver uh, quarterback is harder. It's a lot harder. Like running backs is easy. I'm sorry. Everybody has trouble evaluating running backs. That's just on you. It's easy as hell. You're, you're basically not humble is the reason that you're not figuring it out because it's, it's all laying right in front of you and you, you get confused looking for any other thing to look at than, than the, the simple fact of it all. But quarterback is complex. There's so much, you know, the politics of it, the, 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 you know, the, the team systems matter so much. The team surrounding talent matters so much. Every quarterback can have, you know, different developmental timelines. I mean, like nowadays, Eli Manning does not occur. His his career would never happen because he took like six or seven years to finally stop being bad. You know, that, that doesn't happen anymore. Uh, but sometimes guys just inexplicably progress at different rates. And, you, you know, you look after – Year one, you could be convinced that this quarterback's better than this one, but then by year three, it's it's totally the opposite, and everyone wonders like how how did we get it so wrong? And it's just because it's it's hard. And uh, Stroud is not, in my opinion, in like so. There's there's certain quarterbacks who I'll nonetheless be super high on. You know, like everybody high on Trevor Lawrence. I was really high on Lamar Jackson. Uh, I will sometimes say I hate. A, quarterback prospect and just plug my ears like with Zach Wilson. Sure. But with CJ Stroud, I don't know what to think. And I, I don't think he's bad, or at least I don't see any reason to think he's bad. But I, I also just don't see that, you know, star trait calling card that I feel like I, that you can see in guys like Lawrence and Lamar. So uh, I, di- I didn't know what to make of him, but I'm open to him being good. And I, I, I kind of think that he's good. I just, he might be one of those guys who's, who's uh, you know, quarterback eight through 12 or something never really stands out as like a true star, but you know, it, it, 
I don't know. Maybe he could have like a better career than like Kirk Cousins or something like that. that, 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 that Cousins be... was coming to mind for me, for me as well, and that's. I hate the golf comp. Like, that one, that one just makes me like grind my teeth. It just it doesn't sit well with me. Uh, I, maybe I just don't want to believe it's true. Something like that. I don't know. But I, I, I at the very least, I don't want to believe it's true. So I, I guess the reason why I'm in on Stroud is a couple of reasons because not too dissimilar for, from Quentin Johnston, where like it, my my player eval uh, coming into the draft is like uh, like rather tepid, I, I suppose you you could say. But with, with Stroud and you know, unlike Quentin Johnston, where it's like oh, Chargers best fit possible, like you can't say that about the Texans. But you can also could be worse. you can exactly, and you you can also say that. The Texans, I think, are, are ready to turn over a new leaf. I, I think that, you know, after years of the, the lame duck coaches, you know, I feel bad for, for Cully and and, uh, and Lovey Smith. They were just, you know, dead men walking from Kept the second. Warm. Exactly, warm man. And, and I love D'Amico Ryans. I think that he's going to instill something, you know, pretty serious yeah. to make Houston an actual NFL franchise again. And I, I think Stroud has very little competition. Like, I, I'm confident that he starts every, every game. This year, provided that that he's healthy, I like the the supporting cast. I, I've noticed that that Nico is, is trendy in the streets right now. Uh, gl- glad to see that that people are getting hip to that. I mean, he's like what, like like probably two three rounds higher right now that, than he was oh, in in June. So I'm glad I got as much uh, as I did when I did. But yeah, but you know, going we're backing it up a little bit with Stroud. He's still dirt cheap. Uh, I think he's he's for best ball purposes a great flyer to take, you know, like when you're looking at, at that late round quarterback that, that might have some upside, um, especially relative to, to the acquisition cost. I think him and Sam Howell are, have been my guys and I haven't really thought twice about it uh, throughout the course of this. Oh yeah. Th- this is no, this is, this is, this is gospel. But um, I, I think Stroud, he doesn't have the loud tools that like you were alluding to. Um, but I, I think also, I think his rushing ability is a little bit understated. I think it's it's functional. I, I know I've kind of made made this point before, um, but I think he. Why would he run when he's at Ohio State and he's throwing to Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, Jackson yeah. Smith, and Jigba, Marvin Harrison? They're not like, covered. You, yeah. you, you don't really need to do it. You don't need to get yourself hit for for no reason. The one run he had, I think the one snap he played as a true freshman when, when Ohio State All right, was just yeah, like beat, a yard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just ran away from from Michigan State. So, like, don't forget that. And also, if you watch his game against Georgia this year, he, you know he had some some very smart, you know, pick up the first down, keep the chains moving type of run. So, if he can do that a little bit, um, I, I think that that adds to to his just general baseline. And I, I again, I, I think the supporting cast is fine. I, I, I like the tackles. Uh, apparently, I was reading our offensive line reports over on RotoWire. That that's a really good resource that I kind of recently discovered some some good analysis on, on all the offensive lines ranked one through 32 there's low to, to admittedly but they have really good tackles Texas? that's yes I, I, that's I, thought was, I think i think they're gonna be pretty good yeah i, I like titus howard I, obviously um laramie tunsil is is you know a, a you know cornerstone there um i, I think that uh, some of the hand-wringing was about how big of a flub like Ken, kenyon green was out of a&m uh, last year, uh, he'll um, get better. You can know. find like, guards. I don't know. The other thing is, offensive line. As much as as much as a, it's good to draft offensive linemen high and to draft you know young prospects. The the young ones, the ones who come into the league at twenty one, 
you know, they they are the ones who often or the ones who most often turn into like stars later on, but also just as more reliably yet, they almost always struggle as rookies. So uh, I'm looking like Kenyon Green. He turned 22 in March, so that makes sense. Like uh, it's a different case. It's 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 harder to play tackle than guard. But you remember uh, Andrew Thomas's rookie year? Like, of course, he was people. awful turnstile. Yeah. So uh, as, as it turned out, it was only because he was kind of too young to play well yet. But he clearly got over it, and that talent was there. And I, I think Kenyon Green. I mean, maybe he's going to turn out to be a bust. I don't know, but. Uh, he should be better than he was last year. I uh, see that 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 Scruggs guy at center. He might be decent. I don't know. Didn't Shaq, they didn't have Shaq Mason last year. That's big. Shaq Mason right. is one of the best run blockers of the past ten years. So that's that's a good offensive line. I feel comfortable saying. I I do too. So uh, that again ranked a little bit low. It's okay to have uh, disagreements with uh, even internally. Um, but yeah, I think that there are pieces there to to keep Stroud up, upright and to allow him to to have some success here. So I, I think if Stroud struggles this year, it's all Dalton Schultz's fault. Correct. That 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 we cannot. Um, you know, th- there's no way to argue against that one. Um, but yeah, bottom line here, uh, I, I'm comfortable with, with uh, my Stroud exposure. I'm I'm going to continue to to target him. Uh, I guess now that 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 Texans stack that I've loved getting it in, in uh, the end of drafts is going to get a little bit trickier. If uh, Nico Collins continues to, to rise. Um, and well, Mechie uh, is still pretty Mechie, cheap. Yeah. And he's ready to go too. Is he not? Yeah. He got cleared uh, yesterday, I guess. So I, I don't, I was not even that high on a Mechie as a prospect, but sure. I'm sorry. Him versus Nathaniel Dell is just a laugher. And I, I think a lot of folks are understandably like, I can't tell who's going to play between Nathaniel Dell and, and John Mechie. It's like Nathaniel Dell's a slot receiver. Mechie's a slot receiver. Mechie is a slot receiver. Nathaniel Dell is a rich man's Isaiah McKenzie. He's, 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 he's got skill, but it's not going to be easy to play in the NFL at 5'8", 163. There's, there's a reason those guys don't make it. It, it, it's, it would basically be unprecedented for, for him to, to really, especially in the modern NFL, for him to, to really make much of an impact. Mechie from a physical standpoint, I know he's not the biggest guy in the world, but like he's got great play strength. I, I think he's an asset as a blocker when, when they, when they run. Um, he's, he's an interesting player. I think I, I like him as a late round flyer um, a, as well. So those are, those are kind of the, my main uh, rookies that, that I'm targeting honorable mentions uh, JSN. Um, I, I've I, initially, I was like, ah, oh, no way. And it is funny that the market has um, basically just, turned it into a coin flip between him and, and Tyler Lockett. But I do love JSN. I, I you know, at a certain point you got to remind yourself like, okay, yes, the team context might not be ideal for his maximum targets, but Jason's still pretty effing good. So like him and uh, Sam Laporta, um, when I, when I'm looking for a later tight end, uh, I, I definitely took a page out of your playbook there, but uh, I'm definitely a believer there as well. Yeah, I was saying yesterday, uh, you know, rookie tight ends often struggle. You maybe usually struggle, even if they play a lot of snaps. But I really think there's something to uh, – if you watch that Iowa State off, or Iowa State, Iowa offense, it's so bad. It is so bad, dude. It's so hard to watch. And it probably will be harder, 
it probably was harder for Laporta to play in that Iowa offense than it'll be to play in the Detroit Lions offense, even though it's jumping to the NFL. It's it's that's how egregiously just disgusting that Iowa offense was. And he was the only thing carrying it. He was incredible there. And it wasn't obvious in the numbers, like like I was saying in previous podcasts, like I went into looking at the tight ends like, oh, I sure hope I can skip this Iowa guy. Like he's not that big. His numbers aren't that good. I got to, I guess, check the numbers, though. And his numbers were way above the Iowa baseline. And then, you know, five seconds of watching him, I was like, oh, crap. Yeah, this is, uh, <laughs> this guy is actually good. Yeah, Iowa last year um, really set uh, offensive football back a, a little bit. Um, that was Society tough entirely, to watch. I would say. Yeah, honestly, it was. Uh, why? How? And uh, I believe that offensive coordinator is uh, somehow still employed but there, there's uh, a kicker in his contract where it's like if they don't score 20 points a game uh, he's fired <laughs> or so, something a, along those lines yeah. <laughs> it's like oh no um so uh the, the, those are those are the the targets let's get into um a couple guys that, that were fading um real quickly it, it doesn't feel like uh the hype train has progressed much on this guy so it doesn't feel like i'm i'm stepping out on on much of a limit and we, we talked about Gibbs earlier, di- totally different uh, class of player that that I'm gonna bring up here. Um, but Roshan Johnson, no, I'm just gonna leave that be. Well, I will say, I think the hype has cooled off on him a little bit. The the ridiculous uh, internet Discord chat fandoms that uh, were so loud in the pre-draft process and shortly after, they uh, they need a new source of entertainment. They need, they need a new idol or something. And so they, they've kind of been moving on to Tank Bigsby. Yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, but uh, Roshan, in my opinion, is no worse, probably is better than Tank Bigsby. And I, I thought Roshan Johnson's hype, you know, that the hype crew was just so ridiculous and, and just annoying. And yet um, he's, he's in a backfield on a team that will probably run quite a lot. And the players who are there ahead of him, while I think they have clear advantages over him, both Khalil Herbert and Deontay Foreman to me are clearly more useful than Roshan Johnson. And the, the ways that Roshan Johnson is described as useful sound to me like fullback tasks. But uh, if Khalil Herbert got hurt, even I would say like Deontay Foreman is not a passing down back. So if it's, if it's like Deontay Foreman gets 14, 15 carries, and Roshan Johnson gets eight to 10 carries, but three or four catches. That that could kind of work. I happen to personally believe Travis Homer is more of an obstacle to that than most people, but um, at least you don't have to take him in like the 12th round anymore. I feel like I used to see people doing things like that, and that's just so stupid. Just take Deontay Foreman in the 15th or 16th or whatever. Trust me. But if Deontay Foreman were hurt, if Khalil Herbert, Khalil Herbert can't play passing downs either, really, and he can't take on that much volume either. He's, he's like a smaller rushing specialist. So there are these little cracks that some player like Roshan Johnson could get through because he's not bad. He can do some stuff. He's not like, sure. He's not going to be the reason the offense sucks if he's on the field and the offense is bad, but he also doesn't have anything that makes you put him on the field other than uh, special teams, in my opinion. Yeah. So I, I guess my, my, my party line when it, when it comes to, to Roshan is, it, it's such a muddled backfield. Like it, it's so hard to, to handicap it. Everyone I think does it differently. He's a lottery um, I, ticket. 
Yeah. So, so that backfield in and of itself is tricky to, to um, parse out. And then uh, Justin Fields is just going to run a lot too. I mean, that that's a lot of carries taken off their plate. So it, it, Chicago might be a run heavy offense, but the pie for, for rushes for the running back specifically could actually be small relative to the rest of the league. Yeah, I think it's a classic case of take the cheapest one. So that's, that's yeah. why I say Foreman. Uh, I, I guess you could read that as Homer, but even though I like Homer, I, I do worry that he's kind of locked in as just like a passing down and special teams guy, good as he is at it. Right. So so like even if he has a role, it, it might just not be one that, that really moves the needle uh, for, for fantasy. Um, and, and Tank Bigsby was another uh, uh guy on my on my list among the fades um i you know we're, we're just etn guys I, I just don't think that there's anything like overly special about tank bigsby i think he's not fine but he's um, both smaller and slower than travis etn and he's worse on passing downs and you see these people these are the people who are not humble by the way the ones who uh can't get anything right about running backs because they'll look at anything other than material facts they'll like try to they'll like close their eyes, ignore all the stats, except, uh, you know, breakaway rate in college, uh, missed tackles force per snap in college. And honestly, even the Bigsby hype doesn't even contain much of that because he doesn't even have good numbers as far as they go. The Bigsby hype is simply deferring to, it's not even deferring to draft capital. I mean, my God, ETN was a first rounder. They're, they're doing this thing, this stupid fan fiction thing that they do where they're like, um, everyone knows new regimes don't like any of the players on the team beforehand, no matter how good they are, no matter how they produce in the past. And if they pick a new player and in this, normally the way they do it is like the higher draft capital, but this way, this time they're just like, uh, it doesn't need to be higher. It just needs to be whatever I think high is high enough is. And in this case, they're like Bigsby in the third round. Oh, Doug Peterson didn't pick Travis Etienne. He likes Bigsby more. That's why he took him in the third round. And these people don't know anything about football. I don't feel the need to equivocate about this. They don't know anything about football. And you know they don't know anything about football because they're not thinking through the step one of how you budget an actual offense. They don't know how a game materially occurs. They don't understand the number of snaps, the number of reps, the number of players on the field, how the usage is distributed. They don't think things like this through because that complicates reducing it down to a single tunneled narrative of like, Doug Peterson likes him more. Give it, I don't know, 15 snaps into the season. These people will never mention it again. This will be buried. This will be buried even more than the Zamir White's going to push out Josh Jacobs people from last year. Uh, Tank Bigsby is the kind of player that you identify as good when your process identifies Tyrion Davis Price as good. There's no distinction. None. And I will admit, Tank Bigsby is a better player than Tyrion Davis Price because Tyrion Davis Price I wouldn't draft in the 15th round, let alone the third. Bigsby I'd take in the fifth. Sure. I'd take him in the fifth. But it was a stupid pick in the third. He's not safe for any usage at all. He could be a healthy scratch most of the year because Jamichael Hasey is staying ahead of him and passing downs. Dearness Johnson, I don't know how he does it running a 4-8 at 200 pounds, but he seems to have something as a runner, maybe even more than Bigsby does. Uh, I just saw uh, John Shipley tweeting out from uh, Jaguars training camp that Dearness Johnson had a long touchdown run on the defense. Like, that's bad for Bigsby. Anytime mm. you hear about Dearness Johnson doing anything in practice, start getting more worried about your Bigsby shares because I'm telling you, Dearness Johnson has more skill than Tank Bigsby, both as a runner and a pass catcher. It's only that the, the wheels that are bad on that guy. And if, if Bigsby wins, it's because of that. It's on that basis. But 
Johnson can play if his tools don't undo him. And Bigsby, meanwhile, is just kind of um, – I mentioned White last year. I think White has a lot more going for him as a prospect than Bigsby did. He's at least uh, – White at least is pretty fast, You know, breaks a lot of tackles, runs like hell. Bigsby's uh, – he's got the same anchor issues as White, but he's just much slower. And he's not even better on passing downs, so I don't – I don't get it at all. Uh, I think I think Bigsby is uh, a player who can only have value if Travis Etienne misses time, which could totally happened. I mean, Travis Etienne definitely has serious durability concerns. Cer- certainly has workload limitations given his his slight frame and kind of um, anchorless running style. But there's it's just absurd that we have these people s- s- speaking seriously with straight faces about how. This guy who is smaller and slower than ETN and worse than him on passing downs has all these has all these advantages over him. He has none, precisely zero, literally none, not one, not one, none, zero, folks. So Tank, uh, not the guy. He's not that Bad guy, pal. Pick Trent um, Balky Crew. Uh, I, I will say just a, a stray comment on, on uh, Zamir White. I, I wish we lived in an alternate timeline in which Zeus did not uh, rip up his knee twice because coming out of high school, that dude was preposterous. Like that was He's still fat. He ran like a four, four, seven at the combine, which is pretty damn fast. Yeah. Especially considering uh, the, the injury history, but um, you know, but, but I, I digress. Um, but, but either way uh, out on tank um, regardless of, of where he's going. Um, let's round it out with, with two more guys. Uh, still not getting any Dalton Kincaid and, uh, hell no, actually I, I did I had, before the draft when he was going in like the 17th round or something, but yeah, not now. No. Um, I just, I, I never agreed with, with that pick in the first place. I, I just, I've bad Awful. vibes about the bills just kind of generally this year. Um, yeah. I, I knew that Dawson Knox was going to regress last year. Like that was one of the easier regression calls that, that you could have made, but he's, he's not a zero as a player, I don't think. And he can do stuff that, that Kincaid cannot. And I, I was definitely, you know, tongue in cheek when I said it earlier this week, but Jay Stern, that why'd they bring in Jay Sternberger? Why'd they do that? Yeah. Um, that's a tough one. Uh, I can't remember how Sternberger tested. I, I do remember not liking him as much as a prospect as, as a, his production would normally dictate. Like Sternberger was super productive at a and but yep. uh, and Kincaid was super productive last year. However, his production took another step when that other guy, that other twenty-five-year-old tight end at Utah, got hurt. Brand Keithy. Yeah. <laughs> so before that guy got hurt, he was their lead tight end. It could be the case that that guy is just a real NFL player too. But if so, why didn't he declare? He's like twenty-four. Uh, he's going back to school. So that's the guy that kind of blocked Kincaid's path. Even though Kincaid was about as old as him, and certainly older. Than, than most players uh, at the college level. And even then, without that USC game, it's like Kincaid had two years of just kind of whatever. And he's pretty good, of course, but that's a particularly high assessment to put him over Michael Mayer and even uh, uh, even um, Sam Laporta, in my opinion. Like, I had Laporta ranked ahead of Kincaid, and I did early in the process. Like, when I was, when I was uh, torturing myself with the Iowa tape, it was shortly after I had watched Kincaid, and it was like, I like this guy way more, actually. Because uh, uh, unlike Kincaid, Laporta can threaten, or I, I should say, I didn't see Kincaid 
threaten all the full variety of ways, and especially not underneath and especially not under, uh, after the catch the way Laporta did. And yet Laporta has the verified 4.59 speed on the same frame. You know, it's like Kincaid, I can't remember the last time a sub 250 pounder without a 40 time went in the first round. Like that's, that's the kind of thing where like you better be pretty fast at that weight. And Laporta was. So that's why I was like, all right, it's on now. 4.59, he's, he's got it all. And he does. Kincaid, there's a lot of projection just for him to kind of uh, amount to like, I don't even know what, it, what they expect him to be. It's He's not... He's he's not really a big after the catch guy. He's he just like threatens the seam, and he's he's more athletic than linebackers and bigger than most safeties. So he was kind of especially at the college level where barely anyone plays man coverage, and they they have to those really wide hashes, and they have they have to do really wide zone coverages. Like yeah, you, it's really tough to cover the seam against someone like Kincaid at the college level. But if the Bills try to run a three wide offense with Kincaid as the slot receiver, and then Davis digs Knox, Knox being the inline tight end. That's one of the slowest offenses in the league. Like we're getting, we're getting into the, the territory again of like the chargers when they took Guyton off the field. And I've already, I feel like seen enough of Josh Allen struggling in the scenarios where the defense crowds the intermediate and underneath. And I think they just made it all worse. I think they, other than maybe, maybe red zone offense, I think they made themselves actually worse by taking a, a speedy receiver off the field, even if it's Shakir. I'd rather have Shakir on the field, uh, making it slower and not and, and not to, not slower in the way you make your offense slower when you put Darnell Washington in that situation. You can't leverage Kincaid as a blocker. So, right. like the normally when you go too tight end as a base, it's to to leverage that rushing threat and get the defense bigger so that they get slower. You run more, you get that play action. Their, their secondary is slower. It's not. It doesn't have as many guys in it. That sets up the big play on those post routes, fly routes. I think. I think the field is going to be smaller on the Bills' offense. And uh, Diggs, I think, is immune, but I'm not sure anyone else is. And I don't think Kincaid is certainly. He's only like the, the 11th, 12th round. Like man, even take Dulcich over Kincaid at this point. But um, yeah. Anyway. If I'm if I'm taking a rookie tight end that's not Laporta, I'm I'm certainly not getting Kincaid, and and uh, I I still believe that that Michael Mayer uh, could be yeah he's pre- pretty darn good. He's gonna kick Hooper out of the way real quick. He's he's such a stud. I mean, like even like even back to like his recruiting days, like like you you're scrolling the the twenty four seven five stars, and like his picture is just like neck like it's just one giant <laughs> neck muscle like the, the dude yeah, his is just parents fed him hgh uh from like age five but um it's okay he's good at football now so it's good see exactly it, it uh you know uh process um and results in, in, in that particular case and then uh last fade uh that that i wanted to touch on uh probably not a super hot take uh either at, at this stage no no bryce young for me no, thank you. Fair enough. I'm definitely concerned about Bryce Young. I'm concerned about that whole offense, of course. But uh, let's see. The, the offensive line should be pretty good. They, If they're smart, they'll run a lot and, and kind of try to lean on what could be a pretty good defense, try to keep games short, try to keep things uh, – try, try to keep the scoreboard from getting out of hand. You know, Even if they, even if they go like 4-13 – they can make it a lot easier on Bryce Young by keeping games short so that, you know, they lose, I don't know, 21 to 14 
instead of 35 to 14, you know, like they can, they can kind of make everything easier on them that way. But if they do, that necessarily comes at the expense of this pass attempt volume upside. So I really don't see the way it works for Bryce Young in fantasy this year. And probably most years I'm concerned about him as a prospect. Uh, not, not, not in the way that I really hated Zach Wilson. Um, and I, I, I definitely would say Bryce Young is better than like Mac Jones or somebody like that. But I don't think he's as good as Stroud. I don't think he's as good as uh, you know Justin Fields. Certainly not Trevor Lawrence or anybody like that. And the part about him being an exception for, for his height concern, I think is kind of just based on a leap of faith. That and apparently that stupid S2 test or whatever it was that we had to hear so much about <laughs> uh, back when uh, the Panthers were trying to sell that pick to the media. So I, I think... Uh, he has definite limitations throwing to the middle of the field at the NFL level. And if he's going to have limitations there, then like Russell Wilson does, for instance, the way Russell Wilson worked in Seattle was they kept his pass attempt volume limited and they kept it as much as they could downfield, you know, and, and toward the sideline. So that worked because he was making big plays with that usage. The usage was not very much, but the explosiveness was, was way at the top of the league. So it amounted to something, but I don't know how Bryce Young could ever, uh, even 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 the Russell Wilson scenario. I don't think he has. Like he doesn't have Russell Wilson's arm. He can't run like Russell Wilson. So I feel like we've got a quarterback who's dependent on throwing to the sideline and downfield, who's not really that well suited to either task either. Like the anticipation is great with Young. He's accurate. You know, he 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 interprets the field almost flawlessly. But he needs to just to have a shot. He's so far behind in all those other ways that he needs to be an exception in all those other regards just to be functional. And I think that's the ceiling with him is like functional quarterback. I don't think he can be very good because especially for fantasy, unless he runs a lot more than we expect, which I don't think he wants to on that frame. Or nope. um, if he somehow is throwing like 30 touchdowns a year, which at the very least, even if you like Bryce Young for the long term, do you really see that happening with these receivers? I, I like no. DJ Chark and Terrace Marshall, but they are not, they have not given reason to believe that they're like, top 10 material we are not recreating uh the alabama offense the, the wide receiver you know the pre-2022 alabama offense we do not have Devonte smith and jalen waddle on the field nope nor do we have jameson williams or, or john mechie um so oh, it's yeah. it's yeah it's going to be an uphill climb for for one bryce young so i'm gonna leave that be and then uh i would be remiss if i if i didn't pose this question uh target or fade uh, for our cover guy for for uh, th- this video over on uh, YouTube, make sure to check out our, our RotoWire YouTube. Anthony Richardson, what are you doing with him in re- in redraft? Um, I haven't picked Richardson in quite a while in best ball. Uh, I don't think I have a whole lot of interest in redraft. When I was taking him, it was before the draft, and I took a lot before the draft because you get him in like the thirteenth, fourteenth, fifteenth, sometimes even later than that. So I took a lot of him back then, but then after the draft, he started going more like, what was it? The ninth round, 10th round, something like that. And I get it. I, 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 def- I believe as much as anyone, the upside case for Richardson like that. That's specifically why I took him in the first place, but it's not because I saw any sort of certainty there. I, I see no certainty there. He's very young. He's, he just turned 21 this spring and guys like him are going to be better in three or four years than they are today. It's just, simple simple fact so 
I think there's a way he can have a really good rookie season, you know, even win rookie of the year, be, be a good fantasy pick, all of that. It just requires a lot of things to turn out exactly in his favor that might not. Uh, it's not just not just the general like health of the offense, how quickly they pick up the Steichen scheme, you know, the questions of can the Colts offensive line ba- bounce back? They're very thin for receivers. Pass catchers generally, they're very short on. So I don't think they can throw the ball that much. And that's fine. I didn't expect Anthony Richardson to be like a 40 pass attempt quarterback, certainly not this year, but he has to get it done as a runner. And I don't know how fair he is the most athletic quarterback of all time. We don't need to uh, even Michael Vick. I mean, I'm sorry. It's, it's more impressive to run a four, four, three at almost 250 pounds than it is to run like a four, two, eight at 200, in my opinion. So, uh, Anthony Richardson, especially when, you know, you include the frame that he has and how you can leverage that as a runner. I mean, forget Josh Allen. Like, we we might not have ever seen anything like this. Yeah, this is Cam Newton air type of stuff. Like, Cam Cam had the same frame and ran a 4.59. Richardson, you know, Richardson's crazy. Richardson's like Vernon Davis with a cannon for an arm, (laughs) which is just crazy to think about. But he's he's just not a finished product, and I wouldn't be shocked if Gardner Minshew starts like most of the year, not not because of them. I, I could imagine them just starting Minshew. Like I could just yeah. say like, yeah, we're 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 giving Richardson a red shirt. He's not going to be twenty two yeah. until next year. Pat Mahomes did it. I'm Shane Steichen. I'm just in year one. I got three years minimum. I'm not in a big hurry to compete. All of that's totally on the table. So. I don't anticipate taking Richardson from this point, even though I love him as a prospect, even though I thought it was a home run pick by the Colts. It's um, so he's so tricky because of where he goes, because there, like, like you said, there's so much uncertainty. Like, is he going to start every game when he does start is, you know, like how, how much limitations are there going to be to what they can do on offense with, with Richardson being out there? What's the passing volume going to look like? I mean, it, it could go so wrong it, it obviously could go so right too because of the just rare athleticism and, and tools uh that richardson possesses but man that, that that question when you're talking about the ninth round it it's really tricky so basically my 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 blueprint when i do take richardson i take him as my qb1 and and by by that i mean the first quarterback that i've picked because i don't think it's worthwhile to take a patrick mahomes a Lamar Jackson, a Trevor Lawrence, and then get another quarterback a little bit like within the first 10 rounds. So what I like to do instead is go with the the sexy pick of Richardson and then get something as boring and dull as dishwater, like a, like a Kirk Cousins, something like that to, to kind of give me that stability regardless. It's baked in no matter what. And then in the off chance that Richardson does totally pop, I've got that too. But I, I definitely um, I, I don't think that allocating two of your first 10 picks to quarterback and best ball is remotely optimal. Um, but I do think when you do take Richardson, um, you, you need to be really uh, ready to, to go ahead and, and get some nice, boring stuff. Uh, I, I think Rodgers is also a, a fine uh, complement to, to a Richardson type of team. But that, that's it. And I generally just don't find myself going in that direction. Um, I'm not, you know, it's not that I have 0% of Richardson, but, um, it just, it creates a, 
these ripple effects on the rest of your draft that I, I think are a little bit tough to um to really land the plane with. Yeah, I think uh, now, now that I've thought about it more, I have zero interest in redraft. I think there's a pretty good chance you can just pick them up off of waivers if the person who drafts him cuts him after. It, it clearly this is a one quarterback format in Superflex. Yeah, no way, no. But in one quarterback, twelve team leagues, you know, some somebody's uh, receiver pulls a hammy in week one. It might be Richardson that they cut, especially if Minshew starts week one. Uh, and if Minshew starts week one, that doesn't mean he starts all year. You know, you can. I, I would be the person trying to pick up Richardson if if anyone were to cut him and, and redraft. It's just, uh, I think it could happen, and I I don't think even if he starts all year, I, I think it's still kind of a narrow path to be a, a good return. Much easier done in best ball. Much easier done in best ball. Yeah, so redraft, I, I I could definitely see him ending up being kind of waiver wire fodder uh, John, by, by I, sometime I, in September. Mm-hmm. One Colts rookie that I am not fading is Josh Downs. Uh, he's I think going to be. I think he's going to catch like sixty five passes this year at least. That's uh, hashtag useful, especially where where his ADP is. Isaiah McKenzie, um, even you know John. Isaiah McKenzie is not stopping Josh Downs, and then Alec Pierce no. is running forty yards downfield. Who the hell are they going to throw to? Kylan Granson? I doubt it. I have I have a lot of Alec Pierce, but uh, that that well, that he's could, good. That could be. It's just, <laughs> he's he's uh he's good, but he's he's like in that Quentin Johnson kind of category, you know, where it's like he's he needs the home runs, and I don't know. Uh, I know they'll be there in a Herbert offense. And I'm optimistic that they will be there eventually in a Richardson offense. But this year, I don't know. Yeah, he's going to need to kind of like put on the Superman cape to to really be able to um, to deliver. But if you're taking him as like your wide receiver seven or something, it yeah, you could could be no worse. Arm. But yeah, Pierce I'm, is a I'm, good player. I'm going to I'm going to have to take a closer look on Josh Downs. I, I could certainly see myself. Uh, no one picks him but that. me. OK, I'm the only people, right. I'm the only person drafting him. <laughs> well, that's going to wrap it up for us here on uh, the Roadwire Fantasy Football Podcast again, uh, breaking down all these rookies, our targets, our fades. A big thanks to our sponsors over at Circa, over at Fantrax, Reality Sports Online. Of course, our, our friends over at Blue Wire, uh, our podcasting network as well. But for Mario Puig, I'm John McKechnie. Thanks for listening. Try Rotowire today, free for 10 days. Get our premium tools, rankings, analysis, and breaking news alerts. No credit card required. Go to rotowire.com forward slash try.